0: Welcome to the Qalam Institute podcast. You're listening to Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussain Kamani. Imagine spending two weeks, every day, morning and evening, with the Prophet That's the vision behind Seerah Intensive. Every year, over a hundred people from all over the world come together to spend two weeks immersed in learning about the life and character of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad Sign up and get more information at seerahintensive.com. That's S-E-E-R-A-H-Intensive.com So angry. And it shows you the rage of this man. And how when people are infected with rage, what happens to them? They want to abuse and hurt another person. It sounds uh, very similar to what we have today. When someone's in anger, when someone's dealing with a tough situation, you should try to fix the problem. Figure out what the problem is. If you're wrong, admit that I'm wrong, let's fix the issue. Rather than getting in rage and ignorance upon ignorance and israr upon israr, you know, many of us can probably relate to this. And he got so angry and said to him, You know what? I'm going to kill you. And you know what his brother said? His brother said to him, It's not my fault Allah accepted from me. He said, Allah accepts from those who are God conscious. And if you have any problem with your qurban not being accepted, who should your problem be with? It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you have a problem, go deal with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he said, you know what, I'm after you. You're the one who made me look bad, I'm going to kill you. So at that point, Habil made a very important statement to his brother. He said to his brother, ilayya, إِلَيَّ ilayya taqtulani, مَا أَنَا yadiya إِلَيْكَ That if you try to kill me, I'm not going to do that to you though. Right? Now why did Habil say that if you try to kill me, I won't kill you in return? Why is that? Well, the reason is because scholars, they engage in this discussion. Because the truth is, if someone's trying to kill you, can you fight back? Yes or no? Yes, you can. If someone's trying to hurt you, you can fight back. But why is he saying that, if you try to kill me, I'm not going to fight back? The first reason, some scholars say, is because he was his brother. And he didn't want to be someone who harmed his brother. Because they were all children of Adam, salam. And by making this statement, his hope was that his brother would see that he had no interest in harming him, so why should he harm him? Habil had no interest in harming, harming Qabil. He made that very clear, I'm not going to hurt you. So Qabil, why is he being interested in harming Habil? He should lose his interest in, and think away from that. The other, thing, the other thing the scholars, they say, is that Habil was a very strong man. He was so strong that had he defended himself, he would have easily broken the guy's spine in front of him. But by making the statement, he said that, look, I'm not going to be arrogant over my strength, and neither should you be arrogant over your strength. The third thing the scholars, they say, is that the reason why Habil refused is because killing a human being was something that hadn't been done in the history of mankind until that point. And Habil said, you know what? I'm not going to start this sunnah off. You can take the honors. So Qabil, he, um, one narration says he, at that moment, killed him. Another narration says that later on, when he saw his brother Habil was resting, he decided to kill him, but he didn't know how to, he didn't know how to kill him. So he thought, maybe I should do this, maybe I should do that. And each time he thought about it, he realized that he wouldn't be effective. He could injure him, but he couldn't kill him. Until Shaitan came to him and said to him, the way you kill your brother is by taking a heavy sharp object and strike him on the head. And Qabil took a rock that was heavy and it was sharp, and he went to his brother Habil, and he struck him very hard until his brother Habil passed away. From this we learn a few things. The first thing we learn is a beautiful statement, the scholars, they say, أَوَّلُ The first sin to be committed in the skies was jealousy. It was the jealousy of Iblis, of Adam, salam <coughs> that led him to making that big mistake. Wa huwa and the first sin to be committed in the earth was hasad again. Because Qabil was jealous of his brother Habil, which ultimately led him to making a big mistake in his life. And what is hasad? What is jealousy? When you see someone that has something great and to desire that, there's nothing wrong with that. Jealousy is to desire something that another person possesses with the intention of removing that blessing from their possession. You guys understand that? It's zawal min That you want the other person to lose that, lose that blessing. Shaitan wasn't... Shaitan didn't want a high rank, he wanted Adam to lose his rank, you know, and Qabil wasn't content with what he had or he didn't ask for better, he didn't say, Ya Allah, make my wife more beautiful in my eyes, Ya Allah, make Habil's sister more beautiful, make her better for me, that's not what he said, he said, I want what you have, that's the concept of hasad. that when you see someone, and it's very dangerous. Because Adam salam was, ta- um, was taken out of heavens because of his hasad. And here we learn that um, Qabil, he kills also out of hasad. There's a narration that um, narrated by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, and that Imam Ahmad quotes in his Musnad, that the Prophet said, the first person to kill in the world was Qabil. Every person that kills after him until the Day of Judgment, that sin will come back to who? A portion of that sin will come back to Qabil. A lesson we learn from this hadith that be very careful what kind of trendsetter you become. Setting trends is a good thing. But just don't set don't set some weird trends. You know, don't be like, don't set up dumb things. You start up a dumb trend or a foolish trend, everyone that follows that trend after you, you end up becoming the one who also takes a portion of that sin. Right? Um, and if you, on the other hand, start up something good, let's say for example, you start up a a trend of uh, encouraging people to donate for a particular cause, your family members or whatever it is, then everyone that engages in that, you will be the one who will get the reward of it. And the Prophet ﷺ says this very clearly in the hadith. So we learn this from that here. Be very careful of what you do, and be even more careful of what you do publicly, because when you do something publicly, it's possible someone may try to follow you. On Facebook, if you post a picture of yourself with a girl that you're not supposed to be with, and you're partying and chilling and having a nice time together, there may be a brother whose thought has never, he's, the thought has never even crossed his or her mind, the sister, that I should do something haram. But when they see you apparently having so much fun and enjoying yourself in haram, that desire may come in their heart that maybe I should try this out too. Maybe I should taste the sin of uh, the, 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 the flavor of this sin. And you may encourage someone, going on Facebook and writing, hey, you know what? Best... Uh, Best song ever. And that person may end up listening to it, and who knows, that person who may have been one that liked the Qur'an their entire life, you may have turned them away from the Qur'an and taken them down another path. And where some of you may be thinking, I'm exaggerating, I'm not. People influence people. That's what happens. You, know? you influence someone, someone influences you, and that's just a cycle. So be a good influencer. Be a good trendsetter. Try to talk about good things. Be, influence people in a good way. And the more people that you can influence, the more you're stacking up on that reward. You can call it thawab jariya, if you wish to say. An ongoing, um, an ongoing um, and a continuing reward that will con- continue to come with you. Now, the, the, the magnitude of killing Habil was so great. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the next ayah, He says, Killing one innocent soul is like killing all of mankind. What does Allah say? من أجل ذلك كتبنا على بني إسرائيل أنه من قتل نفسا, نفسا قتل Killing one innocent soul. And I want you to think about this right now because, you know, we live at a time where so many innocent people are being killed by quote-unquote Muslims. You know, people that are calling themselves Muslims and they're, they're getting a kick out of it, taking videos of it and posting it online and saying Islam this and Islam that. And it seems that we've forgotten the simple principle that the Quran is telling us that killing an innocent soul. And I've heard people saying statements like, hey, well, innocent people are being killed in Muslim lands. So why can't innocent people be killed in other lands? Well, that logic doesn't make any sense. Two wrongs do not make a, they don't make a right. And that's the beauty of Islam. The Prophet ﷺ always taught us to be better. The Prophet ﷺ told the companions that when you go for war, you do not fight against the women. You don't fight against the, 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 the kids. You don't fight against the elders. You don't fight against the people of religion. You know those who are religious people? You don't fight against them. Don't destroy their places of worship. Don't burn their agriculture. The Prophet ﷺ taught the companions etiquettes for this too. There is an adab for everything in the deen. There is a way of doing things in the deen. So this whole idea of violence, people um, expecting Islam to be a violent religion, first and foremost, as Muslims sitting here, we know that our Prophet ﷺ did not teach us violence. For the first 13 years while the Muslims were in Makkah, Mukarramah, the Muslims were not even permitted to defend themselves. If someone hit them, the Prophet said to them, Fafu anhum, Forgive them, overlook it. You know, uh, what is the ayah? sabran. Jamila, be patient with them, let it go, let it pass by. There's a narration that a companion was hit, and he got very angry, he was gonna get up and hit the other guy. And he was instructed by the Prophet, let it go. The first time the Muslims were even granted permission to defend themselves in war, was 13 years after Prophethood, when they arrived in Medina. Munawwara, Allah revealed the ayah, wa inna ala nasrihim This is the first verse that actually gave them permission to even defend themselves. So as Muslims living in America, we can easily relate to the era of Mecca mukarramah where Muslims are in a minority, Islam is still something new. Our goal is to give dawah to people, teach Islam to them. So why not take that example of the Prophet Wasallam, right? And, and fighting and being violent is sometimes the easier ground. But the harder ground is actually holding yourself and being composed, presenting yourself with good character. How about teaching people the beauty of Islam? And don't let someone hijack your religion. You know, right now, people are afraid. I'm telling you, since these last California shootings when I've been traveling, when I talk to people, everyone's afraid to be a Muslim. I get this call, I've been getting this call daily. Email, call, or text daily. Sister saying that, is it safe for me to wear my hijab? And it's a very serious concern. Some of us may say, yeah, you have to wear it. And and I'm with you. Hijab is something that's mandatory, it needs to be worn. But you have to remember that people are so afraid that they're literally worried that if I continue wearing my hijab, someone's going to come and hurt me. In Chicago, it's easy for us to have this discussion. But go out to Alabama, go out to Kentucky, where you have a handful of Muslims in a city to go with. How are you going to defend yourself? You want everyone to just uproot and move? Is that really realistic? And this is the time that we're in. And that's why it becomes so much more important for us to be firm, be strong, give each other support. وَتَوَاصُوا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصُوا Be there for giving each other encouragement for patience. You know, when you're talking to people, give them hope. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always get you through. Allah will never test you beyond your ability. Every test that Allah gives you, there will be a great reward that will come out of it. Be calm, be patient. If you become harsh, mean, and, and violent right now, in these times, the doors of hidayah will be closed on thousands of people. <clears throat> and we have no intention of harming anyone. Our goal is hidayah for everyone. That's our goal. As the Prophet was so uh, he was so set on doing his best to giving other people hidayah, conveying the deen onto them. So these are some thoughts that we should also set in our mind. Now when it comes to the value of blood, and especially an innocent person, a believer of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tells us in one hadith, as narrated by Imam al Munziri from Abdullah bin Amr bin Asa, he says that, I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam one day doing tawaf of the Kaaba. And as the Prophet was doing tawaf of the Kaaba, he said, Ma How beautiful are you? And then he said, "Wa ma And how beautiful is your scent. وَمَا And how grandeur are you. And wa And how great is your honor. And after praising the Kaaba like this, how beautiful you smell, and how beautiful you are, and how great you are, and how great your honor is. Then the Prophet said, وَالَّذِي نَفْسِ I take an oath by the one in whose hands Muhammad's soul is. I Meaning taking oath by Allah. La hurmatul min hurmatik. The honor of a believer is greater to Allah than your honor O Kaaba. So when it comes to that you wonder to yourself what it means to harm another person and in particular someone who believes in Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a reminder for us all and if something we can learn from Habir and Qabil Killing is something you do not want to go anywhere near. Oppressing is wrong, but killing is a whole different level of wrong. Now, people usually get confused when they, tell, when they share the story of Habir and Qabil, which one was a killer and which one is innocent because their names sound very similar. Our teacher used to say, the best way to remember who the killer was is K, killer, Qabil. It was in his name. Right? Or you can say qatal, qatal also starts with the same letter Ka, with the same letter that Qabil's name starts with. So it's a, it's, it's a point to remember who was who. Now after this happened, Qabil didn't know what to do with the body. He had killed his brother, he committed the crime, but he didn't know how to cover his steps, and didn't know what to, how to dispose the body. He couldn't go to his father, because obviously he was ashamed of what he just did, and he didn't know who else to go to. So he wanted to cover his tracks, and also dispose of the body properly, and he didn't know what to do. And the scholars, they, they mention here, that one of the aftermath, one of the, uh, one of the follow-up, one of the symptoms, one of the, the bad effects of a sin, is that one that happens, you lose your ability to think properly. When a person commits a sin, when, they're in their, when they want to commit a sin, they don't think of the repercussion. Shaitan blinds them. And now he has this huge problem, he has a body to cover, and also he, needs, he doesn't know how to dispose of it, because this is the first time a human being has died. The first human being to die was who? Habil. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, that in order to assist him, Allah sent an animal. And which animal was it? it was a crow. <coughs> now why did Allah send an animal? The reason was because even though Habil was innocent and Qabil was the killer, Habil's body still had to be honorably disposed, right? It had to be honorably put away. And teaching us how to deal with burial and how to dispose of the human body. So he says Allahu That he saw a crow that came and it started digging in the ground. And when he saw the he saw the crow digging in the ground, he, he realized that he had to also return the body to the ground. Now some narrations suggest that he saw two crows. And why did he see two crows? Because he saw these two crows that were fighting each other, until one killed one, and then it began to dig in the ground and bury the body, and that's, he saw the full scene and he realized, hey, that's what I just did. Now, after seeing all of this, and after seeing, you know when a person makes a mistake, and their conscience clears up, you feel regret. If you ask someone who looks at something haram, or goes to a haram gathering, something that's wrongfully haram, or drinks something haram, or eats something haram. You know, after they've committed the sin, and after the effect of the sin wears off, a few hours later, or even a few moments later, how do they feel about themselves? Yuck. They feel disgusted. I should have known better, man. That's just nasty what I just did. What I just ate right now was nasty. I shouldn't have eaten pork. Allah told me not to. It's something I was supposed to stay away from. I should have. You know, after you commit the sin, you feel guilty. And that's a sign of some spirituality, some soul still even existing. So he said, Allah says in the Qur'an, فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ النَّادِمِينَ Now after this whole episode is over, he buried his brother and everything, he started grieving, he realized he made a mistake. But grieving itself isn't enough. Grieving is a step closer to enough, but it's not enough. Enough is when that grief transfers into tawbah. Repentance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If a person grieves over their sin and ultimately repents to Allah, that grief was beneficial. But if a person just cries and cries and cries over what they did, and they don't repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that grief really doesn't have a spiritual value. It doesn't have something that, that makes you more accepted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah says in the Quran, فَأَصْبَحَ مِنَ النَّادِمِينَ He grieved, but unfortunately he missed out on the next step, which was to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now when Adam Salam found out, he began to look for Qabil. Where is my son gone? Qabil had ran away very, very, very far. And again, um, where he ran away to, there is a lot of discussion amongst the scholars, where it was exactly, where exactly did he even kill his brother, Habil. Um, there's lengthy discussion on this. It seems though, Ibn Kathir, al Ali says, that the more authentic opinion, or the more stronger opinion on where Habil was killed, was somewhere near Damascus, Damascus in a city called Qiniyah. he says Qiniyah was the name of the city, and this is where Habil was killed. And he actually establishes it, he, he, he shares a few narrations, and then after that he shares a story or two. There's one interesting story that Ibn Kathir shares, he shares a story of a dream, and in his dream he saw the Prophet Ibn Kathir narrates the story. He said in his dream he saw the Prophet and next to the Prophet was Habil was there. And the Prophet introduced him saying, this is Habil, the one who was the first human being killed. And then... Um, Uh, Ibn Kathir says that Habil then said that I was killed right here and they were standing in Damascus in Qiniyyah. Even today when you go to that area in Damascus, there are certain ziyarat, they show you that this is where Habil was killed. Anyway, it's nothing that's in solid set stone, it's nothing that's absolutely authentic, but scholars share their opinions on this issue and that was Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi opinion. Now there are some Israeli riwayat that tell us that after Qabil ran away, he lived far away, he established his own little community and he lived there. People who were, those children or those grandchildren or those from the progeny of Adam who were disobedient to him, they would also leave and join Qabil. And the narrations suggest that they built their own little sin city there. Right? The sinner's town was all there. And there's also, there are also some narrations that, um, that um, these people became so arrogant and so deluded that they started worshipping fire because shaitan told them to do so. So they say that's where the origin of fire worshiping comes from. But as I mentioned earlier on, and I'm going to say this again, these are all Israeli duayat. You can't necessarily authenticate any of them to establish whether they this is authentic, whether these are realities or not. Now Adam alayhi salam, he lived over a thousand years, over one thousand years. And there's a narration that tells us that one day Adam alayhi salam he called his sons, and he said to them that I desire fruits. So his sons they went and they started searching for the fruits. And while they were searching, they saw some angels. And the angels said, what are you doing? They said, we're looking for fruits for our father. He said, he wasn't referring to these fruits. His death has come. He's looking for the fruits of Jannah. And Adam salam was lying there. And the angel of death came to him. And his wife Hawa tried to say to the angel of death that not now. Give him some more time. And Adam a.s. said to his wife that you and I were taken out of paradise once. Don't stop me from paradise this time. Let me go back into Jannah. And with that Adam a.s. he passed away. Now, where is Adam Salam buried? Another controversial issue. Some scholars, they say, he is buried in the land that he was sent down to. And the most authentic opinion on where Adam Salam was sent to is where? Hind, India. So which means that he was also buried there. And there are certain areas in India which actually make that claim that he is buried there. Some scholars, they say he is buried in, in the Nawahi of Makkah, in the outskirts of Makkah Mukarramah. Some say he is buried in Makkah Mukarma on Jabal Abu Qubays. It's a famous mountain. For those of you who have been to Makkah Mukarramah before, you'll see that there is a mountain that has a palace on it right now. There's a palace right near the Kaaba on the mountain. That mountain there is called Jabal Abu Qubais. So they say that that's where he is buried. Some scholars say he's buried in Jeddah. Some say in Sham. And some say he is actually buried in Baytul al-Maqdis in the Quds itself. <laughs> now one thing I want to mention here. Other than the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa other than the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa there is no way to authentically establish the grave of any other prophet. All of the prophets, even those that are buried in Quds, we know that some of them are buried there because the Prophet mentioned that, but who's buried exactly where, exact location? None of that is authentic. Most Prophets, where they're buried, there are multiple narrations on where their graves are. The only Prophet who there is no second opinion on where he, where he is buried is the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu okay? Now, why is that? Obviously, there could be many reasons for that, but the one thing that's very possible <coughs> is that had people known where those Prophets were buried, it's very possible that they would have made their burial sites places of worship. And the Prophet ﷺ feared that exact thing. That's why before he passed away, he clearly instructed the companions that do not make my burial site a place of worship. Okay, do not make my burial site a place of worship. We as Muslims do not worship graves. Did you guys hear that? I'm going to say it again. We as Muslims do not, we, we do not worship graves. Because the deceased does not have the ability to benefit or to harm. Okay? The one that can harm or benefit is none other than it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the reality and that's our belief. Now, does that mean that graves no longer have any value in our faith? That's not true either. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructs us to go to the graves. أَلْهَاكُمُ takathur حَتَّى زُرْتُمُ Maqabir. Allah is telling us to go to the graves. When you go to the grave, can the person inside the grave hear you? The scholars differ in opinion. Okay, let me let me rephrase that. The sahaba differ in opinion. There were those sahaba who used to say that simaul ulmota is thabit, that you can stand in front of a grave and talk to the deceased and they have the ability to hear. And there are other sahaba who used to say that the deceased cannot hear. The Prophet and those who say that that, 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 that the deceased can hear, they quote the hadith of the Battle of Badr. That when the Prophet was exiting the battlegrounds of Badr, the, the, the bodies of the opposition, the mushrikeen, were lowered down into one of the wells of Badr. And as the Prophet passed by, he had a very open conversation with those dead bodies. He spoke to them and said, you know, I had no intention of killing you. I wasn't sent as a punishment to you. You brought this on yourself. And he had an open conversation with them. So from that, some scholars, some sahaba, and I, the reason why I'm emphasizing sahaba, so that we understand that this difference of opinion is not a latter one. It's actually from the earliest generation. It's from the time of the Prophet ﷺ, that whether the Amwat have the ability to hear or not. So these are some issues re- relating to that. Now the scholars, they say that uh, a year after that, Imam Tabari actually says, that a year after Adam ﷺ passed away, his wife Hawa also passed away, and she was buried next to him. Obviously depending on where Adam ﷺ is buried, that's where Hawa would also be buried, nearby to him, close to him. So with that repair that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us the tawfiq and ability to learn from the beautiful story of Adam alayhis salam. So many lessons, so many stories, so many points that we can take back home and reflect over. And you know, Adam alayhis salam's story is a very important one, because he's our father. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, many times, while addressing us, he addresses us by making reference to our father. Ya Bani Adam, Ya Bani Adam, Ya Bani Adam. Why is he making reference to Adam a.s. so much to remind us of his story? Don't forget about shaitan. Don't forget about how much he hates you. Don't forget about the ills of jealousy. Don't forget about the power of istighfar. You know, these are things that we're reminded of again and again through the story of Sayyidina Adam. A.s. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us all. Wa Muhammad wa ala alihi wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa ta'ala wa barakatuh. <laughs>